you do this today, would you take your Bibles, if you have the Word of God or a phone or a tablet, would you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. I want to preach a message to you today called, What is Holding You Back? What is Holding You Back? And we're going to start with the story of Jesus' resurrection. Matthew 28, this is what happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. An angel came, took away the stone from the tomb. The soldiers who were guarding that tomb, the Bible says they fainted, fell as if they were dead. When the women came to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away, that the tomb was empty, and the angel says to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Now when the soldiers went back to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day, they told them these events. And, and you can imagine that the Jewish soldiers and the Pharisees got together and they said, okay, here's what happened. Now, what do we do? So look at Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse number 12. It says, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And that story has been repeated even until this day. Now, back then there was no press, there was no media, so they would never have to have a press conference. But can you imagine something this controversial taking place today? If the leaders, let's say the political leaders, there was a, a massive cover-up, right? There was, there was an investigation you found out to be a, a cover-up because those guys are in the back room going, hey, man, we got to do some damage control. I mean, we got to come up with a story. What are we going to say? I mean, we can't tell them an angel came. Jesus came back to life. We can't say any of that stuff. we got to come up with a story. So one of the guys raised their hand and says, hey, hey, i got an idea. Let's tell them that the disciples came and stole the body. And they went around the room. Anybody got anything better than that? I mean, that's, that's all we got? Yeah, that's okay. We're going to go with that one, you know? Now, imagine if they had to give a press conference. If they had to give a press conference and say, well, we'd like to just gather here today. We're unified in, in telling you that these are, these are the facts of what happened, that Jesus' body was stolen by the disciples, right? If they had given a press conference, hands would have shot up everywhere, right? Oh, I have a few questions. Because there's some undeniable facts that we have to look at, and, and they have to be explained some way. And so let's just talk about a few facts. First of all, there was a broken seal, right? The seal was placed on the stone, and it was a Roman seal. Breaking that seal was punishable by death. You yourself would be crucified if you broke the Roman seal. Now, these disciples who were in hiding, right? They'd been hiding. They're in hiding. They, they're, in, they're afraid for their life. In fact, one of the disciples, when a young girl said, Hey, weren't you with Jesus? He cursed her and said, I don't even know him. Yet, three days later, they find the boldness to break a Roman seal? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. The second fact is there's an empty tomb, and that has to be accounted for. 
And can I just tell you that the tomb is still empty today? Hallelujah. It's still empty today. So we have to give an account of an empty tomb. And disciples came and stole the body of Jesus while it was being guarded. These disciples, whose diet consisted mostly of fish and bread, right? Fish and bread. I mean, they're just one step away from vegan, total vegan. They overcame trained military personnel, Romans, who had eaten pasta all their life. Come on, somebody. These guys overcame the Roman soldiers, defeated them? No, no. There's got to be another reason, another account of what could have taken place besides the disciples were brave enough to take on the Roman soldiers. How about this one? Fact number three is the stone has been moved. It's indisputable fact. It's not just in the Bible, it's in history. Jesus was in a tomb, the tomb is empty, the stone was rolled away, and the Bible says in two of the four Gospels that this stone was so big that the angel sat on the stone when he delivered the news that he is risen and he is not here. That was a big stone. That was a big stone. And, and the disciples came at night while the Roman soldiers were sleeping. Never mind the fact that soldiers would rotate. They would not just all sleep at the same time. They would rotate who was sleeping and who was still awake to guard the tomb, right? And so here you have these guys sneaking in the middle of the night. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I sleep with one eye open, man. I hear the slightest little noise. My eyes both pop open. I hear a creak or a little... Little, little noise somewhere, feel like a door's been opened. I go, hey, Cynthia, you need to go check out the room because I think somebody has broken in. You need to go check that out. Let me know what happened. Love you. I'm going back to bed. I'm a light sleeper, man. Now imagine, they moved this giant stone out of the way while soldiers were just a few feet away sleeping. Come on. You've got to come up with a better story than that. The fourth fact is the grave clothes were left behind. That is an indisputable fact. Grave clothes left behind. You mean that these disciples coming in, trying to be very stealth, trying to be quick, trying to grab the body as quickly as they can, they decide to unwrap him. Come on now. And they said, well, let's just take the body. No, no, let's unwrap him first. Well, why? Oh, I just want to. Just Let's just do it. It doesn't make any sense. No, the grave clothes were left behind because it was supernatural. Amen? And the fifth fact is this. There were eyewitness accounts. In fact, the Bible tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus with their own eyes. Over 500, the Bible says, gave an eyewitness account they saw him after his resurrection. And one of those men I want to talk to you about today, his name was Saul, and then later it was changed to Paul. And here's what happened. Paul was an absolute heathen away from God, totally as far from God as you could get. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he, listen to this, he hated Christianity. He hated Christianity. He wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to wipe it out. In fact, he wanted to put all Christians in jail or kill them, whichever one was more convenient. 
And he had the authority to do it. So here is Saul, and, and he's on this road to Damascus, ready to go kill some more Christians, put some more in jail, and all of a sudden this light shines, and this voice comes from the light, and Jesus has a, an encounter with Paul that forever changes his life, forever changes his life. And this man who wanted to wipe out Christianity became Christianity's greatest champion, This man left all of that behind and said, from here on out, I'm going to live for him. And his life was marked and his life was totally changed. And in Acts chapter 26, Paul gets the opportunity to tell his testimony, his story, to a king whose name was Agrippa. Agrippa was very familiar with Jewish customs. And so Paul said, hey, I consider it's very fortunate to be able to talk to you because you know where I came from. And so in Acts chapter 26, verse number one, it says, then Paul said, then Agrippa said to Paul, rather, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with your hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know that you are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me carefully. And I imagine King Agrippa was sitting there going, yeah, I'd like to hear why, Paul. I know all about the Jewish customs. I know all about the traditions. I know all about the law. Why would you leave that all behind? I'm very curious. And Paul begins to unfold the story of his life. He begins to talk about the fact that he met someone who loved him so unconditionally the lover of his soul, that he, he met Jesus, and, and after meeting Jesus, his life was totally changed and would never be the same. And Paul was willing to die now for his faith. He said, it is all about him and not about me. And when Paul got done telling his story to King Agrippa, watch what King Agrippa says in verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost, Paul. You've almost got me converted. Your story is so compelling of why you would leave all that behind, why you would turn your back on that and turn towards this brand new life that you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And I want to focus this morning on that word almost because something in King Agrippa's life was holding him back. See, almost means not quite there. You almost got me, huh? You almost persuaded me. You almost convinced me, but I'm not quite there yet. Something was holding this man back. Man, I'd love to know what it is. Is it the fact that he's a king and he's living this royal life and it's very cushy and he's got money and he's got servants and he's got all the comforts that anyone could ever want? He snapped his fingers and things just happened. Is that what he was unwilling to give up? Almost, almost persuaded, right? You see, we we say this a lot. I've, I've heard it said, I've said it myself, right? Sometimes when you're playing a game or you're doing something, You say, well, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I don't know where we got that saying, right? The author is unknown of that saying, but I thought, who puts those two things together? Horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Horseshoes, I mean, that's just a game. 
You get close to the stake, hey, you get a point. You get onto the stake, hey, you get a couple points. And, you know, you win, you lose, you go home. It's never been my favorite sport. It's just horseshoes. It's just a game. Hand grenades? That's a little different. You get close to a hand grenade, now that's life or death, right? That's not anything you play around. You don't win, lose, go home. You live or you die. And what I'm talking to you about today is not a game. Christianity is not a game. It is a matter of life and death. Life and death. And a decision has to be made. You cannot live in the land of almost. Almost, right? Imagine if you're on a plane and they say to you, hey man, we've got engine failure in all of our engines, we are going down. You're going to have to bail out. And they start handing out parachutes, right? And they hand you a parachute and you hold on to it and you say to somebody, hey, does this thing work? And they say, almost. It almost works. We haven't quite perfected it yet. We've tried it a couple times. We gave it a good shot, huh? Three months we thought it was working, but, you know, not really. So it almost works so. So you just hold on to it. Listen, I'm not bailing out based on an almost, right? If I'm going to cling to something, I want to know that this thing has the potential to save my life. I want to know that this is a sure thing. This isn't an almost. This isn't a maybe. This is a, it's possible. We're going to roll the dice. We're going to gamble. No, if I'm jumping out of a plane, I want to know that I know that I know that what I'm clinging to is going to help me live. And the same is true with Christianity. You cannot live and cling to something that you are not sure of. You can't hold on to your good works, your your attendance every now and then, the, the fact that you were raised by a Christian parent. Listen, you cannot just hold on to that and say, yeah, that's what I'm holding on to. Maybe that'll work. No, listen, you can't live that way. You can't guess. You have to know. You have to know that you are sure. This is a matter of life and death. And the Bible constantly tells us to know. You have to know. You have to be sure of your salvation. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. You ready? This is it. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. No darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. James, uh, John is saying this. He's saying, listen, there's no black and white here. I mean, there's no gray. It's only black and white, right? There's no, there's no middle of the road. There's no maybe. There's no almost that's going to get you there. You can't be partially persuaded, Right? You can't live that way. You have to know that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And so you have to be convinced. Because Adrian Rogers said this. I love this quote. He said, to be almost saved is to be totally lost. Did you hear me now? To be almost saved is to be totally lost. So you have to be sure of your salvation. In fact, the Bible 
tells us that again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work at your salvation. No, be sure of your salvation with deep reverence and fear. And listen, I know we look at the word fear and we think, no, that's a bad word. No, fear is a good word. I have a lot of healthy fears in my life. I fear hitting the pavement too hard, right? I fear that. That's a fear of mine. I fear gravity working against me, right? So I make sure I, I, I try not to let that happen. I, I fear the deep ocean because in 1978 I watched Jaws and so I was just a kid and, and so I fear being eaten by a big mechanical shark. It's a, it's a great fear of mine. Sometimes I fear my wife. That's a healthy fear to have, all right? You know? So there are good fears to have and I fear eternity without Jesus. I fear eternity separated from God. That's not a bad fear. That's a good fear to have. When I was eight years old, I was in a church service on a Sunday night, and they showed those rapture movies from the 70s. And if you remember those at all, it's tantamount to, to child abuse, right? And I thought, who shows these to kids, right? You can't get the songs out of your head. You see people with hoods and, and the worst makeup blisters on their face, but it still works for you. And, and at eight years old, I got on my bed in the middle of the night. I was, I was sure that I was lost. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart because I was afraid of eternity without him. Now, this fear doesn't grip my life anymore. I know that I'm saved. I know I'm sure. I'm not almost persuaded. I'm fully persuaded, right? But if you're not there yet, man, you need to get there. And I've talked to a lot of people that are struggling with that. They, they're, they're coming up with excuses. In fact, I hear two main reasons why people don't surrender their life to Christ when you present them with the truth of the gospel, when you present them with the fact that there is an eternity to gain in heaven and there is a life away apart from God to avoid. And the first thing I hear a lot, people that's holding them back is they just say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Now listen to me. Imagine you're back on that plane, right? This is the worst plane ride ever, right? But you're back on that plane. They're telling you you got to bail out. And you get a hold of the flight attendant and you say to them, hey, 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 we're going to go down. We possibly could die. I just need to, I'm not ready for that. You need to fix this somehow because I'm not ready. See, that would work, right? I'm not ready would work if we knew when we were going to check out. If you knew you were going to live to 85, if you were certain of that, if you knew that you were going to make 90, if you were positive, you were convinced that that was going to happen, you were sure of that, then listen, you could say, hey, I'm going to take a few years, I might take a decade or so, and I'm just going to do my own thing for a little while, I'm just going to live my life, I'm going to make some money, I'm going to have some fun, I'm going to enjoy myself, I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I want to do, because after all, I know I got time. I have time, so I'm not ready, you know? But the truth is, is that none of us know when we are going to slip into eternity. In fact, the Bible says this, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And as a pastor, as a minister, I've done too many funerals, been to too many funerals of people who instantly slipped into eternity. Here one minute, gone the next 
And there was no, I'm not ready. They had to make a decision before that moment because the moment showed up when they didn't expect it. Right? You have to, you have to be ready. If you're not ready right now, there's a way to get ready. Romans chapter number 9 says this, 10 verse 9, it says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternity apart from God. Right? That's what the word saved means. You are made whole. You're made complete. You are saved. And there's a way to do that. It's called believing and confessing. Saying, okay, God, I'm ready now. If I'm not ready, listen, I'm going to get ready because I'm not sure of what tomorrow brings next week, next month, next year. I don't know how long I have on this earth. I know I need to be ready. I have to be ready. And the second reason I hear a lot from people is, well, I just can't give up. And you just fill in the blank. I can't give up my my alcohol and drinking. I can't give up the drugs. I can't give up the relationship. I can't give up the lust. I can't give up the partying. I'm having fun. I'm making money. I'm I'm doing my own thing. I'm going my own way. I, I can't give any of that up. I've tried. I tried. I gave it a good three months. I, I tried it, man, but I just can't seem to give it up. And here's where the message of God's grace, the goodness of God, the mercy of God begins to unfold in your life because you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. But grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace gives you the power to overcome the sin in your life. And if you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, I would do that. I, I, I would love to surrender to God, but I just, I can't seem to give the things that I love up. You surrender to him. And then as you get into the word of God, as you begin to follow after God, as you begin to say, okay, God, listen, I want to follow you completely and wholly. And you open up his word and you say, now, I may not understand every word in here, but I'm going to read this book and get these words on the inside of me. You watch how the things that you've been unable to let go of, all of a sudden you lose your taste for those things and the things that you think you have such a tight grip on that really have such a tight grip on you, you watch how those things begin to loosen their grip and you can walk away from them free from those things that you think today you can't let go of by his grace and by his mercy. It's the goodness of God. And he is tugging at your heart today. Listen, and the church will be there for you, man. We want to help you every step of the way. We're not just here to say, hey, yeah, you need to surrender your life to God. Now, good luck with that. No, we want to help you every step of the way. We have a series of classes called Discovery Classes. And they meet in just a few weeks on April 15th. And and they're basically Christian growth classes. They're like, where do I start? How do I I live this life? And they'll help you find the plan and the purpose of God for your life. It's just six weeks, just six Sundays. That's it. And that'll get you on on the road and on the path to finding God's purpose for your life. 
And then we also have water baptism that is coming up on April 15th, that same day. It's at 6 o'clock. We're going to do a beach baptism at, at Lake Worth Beach. And, and what baptism is, is baptism says, hey, my old life is gone, and I'm coming up a brand new person. And it is important. And if you were sprinkled as a child, or, or maybe you were baptized, but you really didn't know what you're doing, you need to be fully baptized, right? You need to go under and say, my life is now gone. That old life is gone. I'm coming up brand new, right? And so you could sign up for that. Listen, we'll be here to help you because just because you surrender, you believe and you confess and you start on this new path doesn't mean that you're perfect. God's working in us still. And every day as we begin to walk the path and just draw closer to God, right, we just let go of some more of the past. You don't become perfect overnight. In fact, we never arrive till we get to heaven, but his grace will empower you every step of the way. 